How much loyalty is there in Formula One? Drivers flip between teams in search of the best car. And the same can be said of engineers. Everyone wants to win and they will stop at virtually nothing in order to achieve their aim. Just occasionally, you get a gem. Someone who wants to win as much as anyone else, but who demonstrates a fierce loyalty to his band of brothers in one team. And such a man is my guest this week. Welcome to Beyond the Grids with me, Tom Clarkson. Alan Permain has worked in the same team for more than 30 years. He joined what was Benetton in the late 80s when they were based at Whitney in the UK. And he's enjoyed an uninterrupted run with them ever since, as they moved to Enstone, morphed into Renault, then into Lotus and finally back to Renault. He's worked with great drivers like Nelson Piquet, Michael Schumacher and Fernando Alonso, and a charismatic team boss in Flavio Briatore. He's experienced the highest of highs, winning world titles, and the lowest of lows, such as Crashgate, the controversial 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, yet he's remained loyal throughout. Alan started out as a Sparky and worked his way through the ranks to become a race engineer, then chief engineer, through to his current position of sporting director. In short, he's been there, done it and got the t-shirt. And best of all, he's got some great stories to tell about his experiences, be they about Schumacher, Alonso, Fisichella and the rest. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Alan, it's great to have you on the show. Now, you've been at Enstone for more than 30 years. How many people in the team have served longer than you? Do you know the number? Uh, I think there is a couple. There's definitely one guy, one of the fabricators was, was, is still there, and I remember him being there when I first started. Um, it's not quite Enstone, 30 years. I did a few years at Whitney first. Before we even got to Enstone, we were on a little industrial estate in Whitney, Benetton Formula. What was it like back then? Great. <laughs> it's as it is now, honestly. It's yeah, it was it was exciting times for me. I was I'd just turned 22 and got a job in Formula 1 and uh it was uh, I'd just come out of an uh, electronic apprenticeship and uh had my eyes open to the 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 world of Formula 1. It was it was it was you know, it was awesome. So Whitney was at what a much smaller base. Yeah, I think when when I started, there were about eighty people there, and 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 Whitney had been expanding. They they had three or four or five little industrial units, and were sort of taking over this industrial estate piece by piece, if you like. Um, before they then expanded down to a, a site in Godalming with with John Barnard thing, and then back to Whitney with another design office in another part of Whitney and then eventually the the site in Enstone. Whitney sounds quite like Red Bull Racing at, at, in Milton Keynes, how they've sort yes, of taken over. Yes, it is, and I've, I've been out there and seen that, and it's, it's, yeah. it's that, but on a much, much smaller scale than that. Now, Alan, which F1 do you prefer? Do you prefer it now with big teams, lots of racing, or back then with smaller teams, fewer races, and lots of testing? Uh, that's a really tricky one. Um, testing was really hard as a race engineer in in the in the mid to late nineties. That was tough. That was really tough because we used to race and test. So we'd uh, there were fewer races, of course, but we used to jump on planes overnight. From I can remember that going from Montreal 
to test for a test in Magni Core two days later, and then you'd go via London and, and overnight to London, and then jump on a plane to Paris, and then drive from Paris for three or four hours down to Magni Core, and then do a three days of testing with two cars. That was very hard. I, I'm not sure I could do that. Do that now. I was a lot younger in those days, and, just and it was still on the road the whole yeah, time. Yeah, just 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 race test, race test. Um, the racing's always fun. Testing is 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 one of those necessary evils. If you're allowed to do it, you, you do it because you learn all the time. So so we we did. Of course, we tested we tested an awful lot, and especially in the in the tire war era when we was sort of Michelin versus Bridgestone. We were testing a huge. You know, it was tire testing. We were basically going away tire testing every week, uh, and that was uh, that, that, that's that's hard work. That's that's long hours and, and and quite a slog. Can you give us some idea what a tire test would have involved at the time? I mean, how many sets of tires would you throw at the car on any given day? Maybe fifteen, sixteen sets. It was new tires every run. New tires, new tires, new tires. It's so expensive and so. If you think about the environmental impact on it now. I mean, what we're doing now is we use 13 sets a car a weekend and we don't really do any testing now. And we're still thinking, wow, that's that's wasteful. I mean, what we did then was <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of sets. And, yeah. and I, I don't think you could justify it now, really. How has race engineering changed during your time, during these 30 years? I haven't race engineered a car for the last time I engineered a car was 2006. Fizzy. So long, long time ago was was when I, when I last race engineered yeah. a car. So it's, it's, that's not an easy question to answer, honestly. But um, as sporting director, are you still getting involved in that side, no, or do you leave it to the guys? Not, not much at all. And I can see them roll their eyes when I, you know, try and suggest the odd thing or throw in the odd tidbit, which of course I do uh, because I want to. You know, that's a very enjoyable. That was a great part of my career, being a being a race engineer, um, and I still miss it. I, that was certainly one of the you know one of the highlights. It, it was being a race engineer and learning how to be a race engineer was was one of the great parts of it. But it's it's changed so much now. You know, I couldn't begin to set a car up now at all uh, and so much of it is, is is there's so much more detail on the aerodynamic side on the you know cooling the brakes that there's there's sheets and sheets of 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 how to you know what specifications of drums and ducts and 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 all that sort of thing and how to so it's you're not just cooling the brakes now but you're heating the tires there, there was none of that in in in, in my day you you only thought about the brakes you didn't really think about how what the effect of that would be on tire temperature or anything that, that, that's far more recent do you think there's too much data now is there less reliance on the driver engineer relationship i don't think so that hasn't changed that's one thing i don't think has has changed at all there's Yes, there's a lot of data. Whether there's too much or not, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I, I think that's just a natural progression of, of you know where the world is. There's there's just more data everywhere. But the the engineer and the driver relationship is, I would say, exactly the same, almost identical. They're still between them, trying to carve out the best setup for the car and and, and extract the. The, you know, the absolute most lap time that that car is, is, is capable of. And that is the engineer's 
that is the engineer's role and, and that hasn't changed and then okay there's there's more people we have a tire engineer at the track now we, we have an aero engineer at the track now we, we certainly didn't have those in my day there's an ops room now with with a with full support of on, on a friday that's that's there's 30 odd people there as well look, looking at stuff and that wasn't there but the the, the goal and and the, the 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 thing that that guy that that race engineer at the front of the of the garage talking to the driver his goal's exactly the same yeah. is it strictly a business relationship between the engineer and the driver or or does it is it more than that do you have to almost be a friend to be able to extract the most from them it's a complicated relationship it it really is um no it's not a business relationship that that's that, that's it's definitely not a business relationship you have to have a there has to be a, some respect both ways for it, for it to work properly. You have to be able to give him a bollocking when when he's not doing well enough, and 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 and, and the driver has to accept that, and 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 that they have to also accept that they're yes they're being paid multi millions of pounds, and I've certainly worked with drivers that have been, and and, and you're telling them off and saying this isn't good enough, and 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 that's rare, of course, but when it's when when things aren't right, there has to be that level of respect between them for sure. And so it is, it's much more than just a, a business relationship. You know, they're not best mates, if you like. Um, but, but there's more to it than, than, a, than a working relationship, definitely. In this day and age, it's quite rare to have a one-team man. Why have you always been at Whitney slash Enstone? Um... I thought you might ask something like that. It's again, it's not an easy one. I have flirted with other teams over the, and other teams have flirted with me over the past. But I think I would say that this team has been incredibly good to me. You know, I started off as a as a electronics or Sparky, as they would be called now. And what? And you've just climbed the greasy pole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, that the, the team has been good to me. As I say, I started started there and 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 moved on to to like a, a junior engineer, um, and then became a race engineer. And and, and for those steps, I, I really owe an, an awful lot to to Pat Pat Simmons. He he taught me how to run a car, how to engineer a car, and and, and he was one of the you know one of the best certainly that I've seen or worked with. He he was really good, and 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 that gave me a really good grounding and and uh on, on, you know on on how a car worked and what what made it go fast and and the things to focus on uh, and that sort of thing uh, and and also the 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 finer points of dealing with uh dealing with is the wrong word but um, working with let's say people like flavio and and drivers and stuff so pat employed me to start with pat simmons and pat fry interviewed me back in back in 89 back in 88 actually they interviewed me and, and gave me the job and then pat helped me to to, to be you know he, he, although ross was technical director at the time it was pat that was i'm sure um behind it all gave me a job as like a junior junior race engineer i can't even remember what the what the title was and, and it ended up being a little bit of a engineering dog's body to start with but then sort of again pat took me under his wing and i was kind of his assistant race engineer and again that was in the days before there was before there was a, a great support network the, the race engineer did everything and we didn't have there wasn't even such a thing as a performance engineer in those days so i was like his assistant if, if you like do you value loyalty do you think you'll spend the rest of your f1 career 
at this team? I, honestly, I don't know. What I want to do is is win with this team and ask anyone there, ask Cyril. He knows how passionate, how competitive and how frustrated I get when, th when things don't go well. So I don't want to just say, no, I'm just here until I retire. Absolutely not. What I want to do more than anything is win again with this team. That would be... That, that's that's what I want to do. And, and at the moment, you'd say it's it's absolutely going in, in the right direction. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Cyril, back in 2016, talked about a five-year plan to get you winning, which takes us to now. Has it been a little bit harder to get back to the front than you guys were expecting? No question of that. Um, it's it's incredibly difficult when when you when you're faced with with uh, the, the the sort of steamroller that is Mercedes at the moment uh, and and I think now that we've th there's no doubt of course that we we struggled with both chassis and engine uh, for a while um, and driver we we we've we've got ourselves a, an absolute top line driver at the moment that that's that's helping things. But it's taken a little while to get the engine to where it is or the power unit to where it is, to get it performing well, to get it reliable. It, it really is there now. And that, that that isn't anything we can look back on and say we're being beaten because of that. It's, 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 it's very decent, that's for sure. And the rest of it is down to, it's down to, getting, the, it's down to getting the chassis where it is. But it's, it's, you're going up against those two teams, the, the Red Bull and uh, and Mercedes, are incredible machines. And and if you look back at how they've been funded, and, and I don't, you can't just keep going on about money. But if you look back at who's had the most money and who's won the championship over the last twenty or thirty years, you probably see a very strong correlation. So when you look at Mercedes, what one thing stands out? What makes them so strong? Is there one thing where you go, we need to be more like that or do it like that to beat them? It's too big to, for one person to be able to say that, you know, that's what we want. And that's why you need the right people in aerodynamics. You know, you need the people that know what they're doing there in vehicle dynamics. In all, you know, in, in design, a, a strong technical director, in, in all areas, you need you need that the, it's it's people i'm sure that's what's helping them a lot is their continuity but but it's not just that it's their facilities and 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 their ability to 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 throw money a lot of people talk about formula one teams being efficient and and, and that sort of thing i don't think that the big teams over the past years uh, efficiency isn't where it is it's doing it's doing everything and then picking out what what actually makes the car go fast so you're you, you you're doing absolutely as much as you can development wise and and trying all sorts of different things and then taking taking what's good rather than a, a smaller team like us looking at some design studies and stuff and saying okay that's going to work we need to do that sort of rear suspension because that's going to make the the car fast or the these particular aero parts and and concentrating on that i and I don't know for a fact, but I'm I'm sure to to spend the sort of money that we think those teams have been spending, you've got to you just do everything, and you have that many people that you can do everything, and and then you you take what what works. And how much better is something like the power unit? Because you had it in 2015. Was it light years better than what you've been using before? Uh, than the 2014. Renault, it was a, it was a step, that, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for, for saying that. But I think it's a mark of where we are now to say that there's nothing between them now. That that's for sure. 
but it's clear that they'd started a lot earlier uh, and and and, the, and it was it was far more sorted that, that it was a, it was yeah it was a definitely a, a step in terms of performance and reliability now clearly you're a super competitive person that's coming across <laughs> um but you're also one of the senior members at the team now and and what makes you proudest when you look around Enstone? Um, uh, what I'm proud of now is that is is the race team is my the team I've let's say built here and the and the people I have at the track and and the and the loyalty I have from from those guys. And you asked before, did I did I value loyalty? And and I'd say yes, but but that has to be to a point. It has to be tempered with with. The commitment and 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 work and ability and 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 drive and that sort of thing. You can't just. It's not the sort of industry where you can have people just hanging around because they've because they've been here for a long time. And I and I absolutely put myself in in that category as well. One thing that I'm very conscious of is not becoming a dinosaur and, and not become and and, that, and that's one reason I don't get you know stick my nose into race engineering things even though I've. Have have done that, and 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 after I was a race engineer, I was chief race engineer. So I've I've done and managed that group of people. But but you have to stay relevant, um, and that's another thing with to do with loyalty is 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 making sure that you're you're still contributing and you're still adding value. But um, your original question about what makes me proud, I think lots of things in Enstone make me proud, and lots of you know seeing lots of people there still working hard that i've known for a long time is proud but the the, the race team is is my is is you know that that's what comes on directly under me uh, and they're the guys especially in a year like this year where it's been it's been pretty brutal um in terms of traveling starting off with i don't know what we did nine races in 11 weeks or something like that it's it's unheard of and and just to see people just get on with that and and not feel privileged but but also acknowledge that that other people are, are, are struggling a lot more there's there's you know the, the, this this year has affected everyone of course in the whole world and um but if we look at ourselves i i think we are we are a little bit privileged you know to be traveling around the world and and uh, and and doing what we do it's, it's there's some sacrifices we make of course having being tested and and stuff like that and 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 it, it's 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 difficult traveling but compared to what a lot of the population is putting up with we 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 are we, i think we're very fortunate and and to see people to see my guys just getting on with stuff even though the the schedule is is really tough that that makes me proud can we look back at your time at the team by talking about some of the people you've worked with and sure. can we start by talking about drivers so you were interviewed in 1988 you joined the team 1989 i was testing for a couple of years so my first event i went to was was in a nimola test with johnny herbert and alessandro nanini in 1989 and i can remember that vividly i can remember you know I was 22. I'd never been to the track before. It was amazing. It was awesome. Uh, and I can still remember. I think it was a three day and, and then there's some talk of it extended it to four days. And I remember all the mechanics were moaning and bitching about it. And I was just thinking, what are you talking about? This is the best thing ever. You know, another day of this. 
uh, and it was yeah it was good first race i did was i think phoenix in 1990 that was my first race and i did a bit of stand-in because we looking after the radios and, and helping out with some 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 bits and bobs and i did a few i did three or four races that year and then i started racing properly from the early part of 92 so let's take it back to 1990 because you've worked with various world champions along the way Nelson Piquet joins the team. I can remember Nelson having a very big influence on the team. You know, I don't think we'd had a, a little Benetton, hadn't had a, a, a sort of superstar driver like that before. And I'm sure he changed He changed a lot of things. He, he coincided that he came with, with, he didn't come with, but he came at a similar time that, that John Barnard came and uh, Giorgio Ascanelli was, was sort of, had taken over from Pat as, as head of, of race engineering so so that he came with a lot of sort of process changes and, and things like that of the track he won races didn't he so. yeah he won uh he, he won at the end of 90 i think he won did he win his last two races yeah. of 1990 japan and australia he, yeah he did he had a one two in japan that was that was think, and probably I think Flavio to takes credit because he put him on a points bonus or something oh, that's, that's right i remember that <laughs> yes it probably cost <laughs> a lot of money <laughs> But yes, yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, the NC are jogging my memory. I do seem to remember there was an awful lot of talk about him being remotivated and 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 that sort of thing. Um, probably quite a different team to to what he'd been in before as well. But I can remember, and I just talk about that Imola test. I'm sure he was driving for Lotus then, and I can. That's one of the things I remember is watching him going around the track in the in the yellow Lotus at, at that test. Yeah. Such an iconic helmet yeah, colour yeah, scheme, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Well, one of the things Nelson had to deal with was the arrival of Michael Schumacher in 1991. Um, so the stories go, he found it tough. Here's a guy who was the same age as you, Michael Schumacher-ish, and he comes in. Did you have a rapport with him? Was he was he good with the guys? Yeah, yeah. Michael was, was, was very early on uh, uh, one of those all-round all-round guys and, and and when i started racing properly i was working on his car and he was very good to to all of us then and, and he used to do a little bonus system for for everybody you know not you know not not a huge amount but everyone if he if he did well we all we all got a little we all got paid a little bit a little just bit extra. on his car yeah exactly that just on his car he looked after he looked after everyone but if you talk to to people at the time who were involved in the other side of things in in the PR and the press and the marketing side of things that they all speak very fondly of him that that he was a, 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 just a super professional and I'm sure a lot of these guys find it a, a real pain to, to do that that sort of stuff and, and and Michael just was was brilliant apparently at that so he was all round he was all round good he won 19 races for Benetton what was his best race Spain 94 when he was stuck in one gear yeah he was stuck in fifth gear that was quite impressive one real strong memory of Michael is is, is Silverstone beginning of 94 shaking down the 94 car and he got out of the car and Rory was there Rory Byrne who was the chief designer at the time and he got out and he just said this car is amazing and and and, it, and he just said this is going to win this is it, it was brilliant and and it was incredible it was it was he he couldn't stop enthusing about the car and we were probably at a wet uh, you know i guess it was february at silverstone it's it's never going to be good conditions and i'll still i can see it 
in my mind's eye now, him getting out of the car and just beaming and just saying, wow, this car is, is incredible. And, and in those days, you know, the, the development rate wasn't anything like it is now. So you started the season with a car like that and, and you knew you were, you were going to do, you were going to do well. It was very similar to, to the 2005 car it was exactly a, a similar thing. And I was engineering Fisichella at the time. And I can remember Giancarlo saying, I don't want to stop driving this. I, I, you know, drivers hated testing and a lot of them still do. And, and especially in those days where we used to do so much, he said, I just want to drive. I just want to stay out. I just want to keep driving. Keep, it's so nice to drive this car. And I, and I was talking to Fernando about it, it uh, last week in Imola about those cars because we were talking about Imola and the last, you know, the, the, the two, the, we did t the two races, 2005, 2006. They were, they were almost the same, but flipped over. I think Michael won... 2006 Two, six. And, and Fernando won 2005 but they were really tight races and Fernando was talking about those those two cars five and six and saying that car he said you could do anything with that car a anything at all and he said it didn't matter where I qualified he said I knew I had a shot of winning even if I qualified fifth or sixth he said I knew I had a shot of winning with that car um, so, so that's that's a memory of Michael that that really that really stands out another one was was uh that really stands out of that era was the was suzuka uh 95 winning the constructors championship um because we we'd with all the shit that had gone on in 94 with disqualifications of fire uh, uh, you know it was a, it was a it was a it should have been a fantastic season for us and and we did win the drivers championship of course mild in controversy um but getting chucked out of Spa because of the plank and then getting chucked out of Silverstone because of the overtaking on the formation lap and then the black flag. The, the whole thing was was a bit bit sour, you know. And uh, to, to win the Constructors' Championship, I still remember that. That, for a very long time, was my best race ever. For a very long time. That 94 season... What was the vibe like in the team when you kept being knocked back that it was, whole time? It was tough. It was very tough. Uh, Would you say the, that was your toughest team. season in Formula One? Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about it in those sort of terms, honestly. Um, I, I can just remember just thinking this is just, it just felt unfair at the time. And I'm sure there's a lot more to it than, than, than meets the eye. We've just had an indication, actually, that car number five, that's Michael Schumacher, has got to do a stop-go penalty. Schumacher is going to be black-flagged. What is happening to Michael Schumacher? Because his team are obligated to tell him that he's got to come in. He, he either hasn't seen that black flag or ignored it. And that means that Schumacher's race is over. He will, at some point, have to come in. And, uh, in fact, the more he goes on, the worse the situation gets, because he's black-flagged. It's the end of the race it just felt harsh what they were doing and, and and we were naive for sure as well so so to give michael a penalty in silverstone for overtaking him on the formation lap that's harsh but then ignoring the black flag when we got a penalty didn't serve the penalty then had a black flag that was that just compounded things and and and, and it wouldn't get to that stage now and, and i'm sure now you wouldn't get a penalty for for, for doing something like that you'd get a, a slap on the wrist and there'd be it would be more normal and and the plank thing i can remember that that it was it was almost one of the first races after the 
planks were introduced and and part of the and I, and I think i'm right in saying this and i'm sure someone will correct us but the plank had to measure more than nine mil it had to be nominally 10 mil and and if it was less than nine mil you're out but, but because it was early days they then said well we'll allow that at the point but but it must weigh it, it can't weigh less than 90% of its original weight sort of thing and, and I and I know it did there I, and I know that did and we still got chucked out of that race um, and that felt really that felt harsh that felt that felt really uh, difficult to take it feels like you remember it like it was yesterday yeah that those sort of there are little things like that I do I do remember because it did it felt like we we had the the best car by a long way after the tragedies at Imola that year did the intensity drop in any way inside Benetton? No, not not at all. Not absolutely not at all. After those that terrible weekend, um, the cars were hacked about and and downforces downforce were reduced. And I'm sure that car didn't retain its you know its its competitiveness. Um, let's not forget that that Senna didn't couldn't beat Michael. He beat us to pole every every weekend, but we beat him in in those first three races. I th think it was three, those first three that year. Michael beat him in the race, uh, and that showed how strong the car was. That Ayrton couldn't beat him. What did he, he spun in into Lagos, didn't he? In fact, he spun it into Lagos, and then he didn't spun we have two again races in Japan. And then he had a Autopolis. He he spun at the first corner and was hit by. Larini, wasn't he? So it was quick over one lap, but I think it was a handful, wasn't it? The Williams yeah. in the race. Uh, I think mm. that just showed how good how good that car was, and I think there was there was just a feeling that we were being, mm. uh, and that's probably just from my level. You know, I was a, a sparky. I was on the shop floor. I was a, a, a you know a guy working on a car. We didn't know the sure there was bigger picture stuff going on, but it just felt we were being we were being hammered all the time. Which was the best season? 94 or 95 just purely from how the team was functioning how schumacher was driving i mean you've talked about the constructors 95, championship right? 95 definitely and and we changed to, to the from the ford to the renault engine and that was like a massive eye-opener to us as well the the, the oh, how many horsepower you've been missing the, the year before <laughs> not just that but the organization you know no disrespect to to ford or cosworth but but going from that v8 engine to the v10 renault was you know, it, it, it was a, it was a different it was a different league, and must have been really satisfying to go in and beat Williams in year one with the Renault, which they'd obviously been helping yeah, to develop. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to beat Williams, that, yeah. of course. And, and yeah. in those days, there was a very strong rivalry between the between the teams. I mean, kept kept on a, a decent you know level at my level, and, and we we you know we would have a beer with the guys and then that sort of thing but there was a there was always a, a a very strong rivalry between between the two teams so yeah very nice to to do that now alan there's three other drivers i just wanted to to mention one was jensen button who did 2001 2002 with the team uh had a great first season with williams and then I think it was a difficult car. Is that fair to say in in two thousand and one? Oh yeah, it was a, it was a really tough car. And Jensen really, admits really, really tough. Jensen admits that he still had a lot to learn when he drove for you guys then. But what impression did he leave on you? I didn't work with Jensen. I was engineering for his Keller. Um, he honestly, when he came, he looked. I wouldn't say out of his depth, but it. it, it 
it had obviously come easy to him driving in in his, in his junior formulas, and he was very successful and, and quick. And 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 I suspect even so, did he drive the first year at Williams and then come to us? And I suspect even that was easy. And then he came to us, and it was tough. And I just don't think he was prepared for it. And and, it, and I don't think he and and he was used to dealing with someone like Frank. And then he's got to deal with someone like Flavio as well, uh, who could be really tough on drivers. You know, really give them a give them a hard time and, and make them know that, that they had to earn their money from him. Um, and I don't think he was prepared for that in any way, Jensen. And I think that was a, from, from what I can remember at the time, I can remember that being a, being a, looked like it was a shock to him. Mm. But really. 2002 was a much better car, right? Jensen had two fourth places that year and nearly finished on the podium in Malaysia. You've got a far better memory than I have. Um, I remember those first those first years of the the 2001, 2002, and 2003 being all all being quite tricky. The car the cars being yes they improved and and 2001 was by far the the, the, the toughest year certainly on on uh, with you know the chassis engine combination we were we were absolutely nowhere we were qualifying right at the back. <laughs> I was engineering Giancarlo and he made a very rash statement at the, at the start of the year. He'd always said that if we win a race, he'd buy a Rolex for, the, for everyone on the car. And uh, in 2001, the car was so bad and we were qualifying on the back and I think Jensen was qualifying on the back row and it was like our badge of honour that we wouldn't qualify on the back row. Anyway... We, we badgered him and said, listen, we're not going to, it's impossible to win with this car. What, what about, why don't you say, we, we get, if we get a podium, you buy us a Rolex, which he agreed to. And of course, in Spa, he put it on the podium and, and, and bless him, he, he, he did. He bought everyone a, he bought everyone on the car a Rolex. And uh, wow. there's still some people there today and... Uh, who, 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 of course, still have them and still wear them every day, and still fondly, fondly think about it. And uh, that was that was quite a quite a gesture. What a him. great story! Yeah, yeah. it was, it was a surprise. Was very cool. It? Yeah, it, well, yeah, it was. It was to get to get that car on the podium. We needed we needed several things to go our way in uh, that weekend in Spa. But uh, yeah, now, that that was uh, that was a tough car. You've mentioned fizzy. A few times now. So let's talk about Fizzy. He did two stints at the team. Yeah. 98 to 01. And then 2005, 6, 7 as well. How good was he? He only won a couple of races for you guys. Yeah, he was very good. He, he On his he, day. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he was good. He was a great driver to work with. I loved working with, with Giancarlo. We got on, we got on very well. We, 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 I guess we learned a bit together, you know. Um, I think what, was a, a, a shock to him as when Fernando came or when they were put together in 2005 that he couldn't he couldn't beat Fernando and, and I think that was was tough for him to take because he'd pretty much been on top in the, in that first stint so there was four years I think we did together the, the finishing in with that tricky car in in, in 01 but we'd been on the podium many, many times before. He was a bit of a Canada specialist. He was always seemed to be on the podium in Canada. Monaco was always, always kind to us. Why was he us. so good in Canada? You're absolutely right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he was one of the drivers. You know, when I said earlier, you had to have this little bit of respect for him and he would lose a bit of focus in the race every now and then. And he was one I would have to say, you know, 
concentrate, just stop, you know, daydreaming and get on with the job, get your head down, get on with it. Did you have that conversation over the radio in Japan 2005? Japan 2005. He, got, he got overtaken by Kimmy on the no, last No, I don't think so. I think that that was, that was Kimmy just in a, in a, in, in a quicker car at the time was, was just faster than him. I don't think he was, he wasn't particularly not concentrating or anything like that. It was, it was a shame, but I think Kimmy had come from the back, hadn't he? I yeah, think 17th, that, that, yeah. yeah. No, I don't absolutely don't hold that one against him at, at all. Um, Giancarlo. How had he improved from the first stint to the second stint? That's not an easy one to answer. Um, because the, the the second stint we had this car that was just incredible the 2005 and and especially with the that was with the single tire rule and again Michelin had done a a, a tire such a, a an awesome tire that could could do qualifying and the race the whole race and so it it was it's difficult to know how Giancarlo was because we were always being measured up against Fernando and and he won the first race of the season that year. I remember that very clearly in, in Melbourne. And then I don't think won another race until Malaysia the following year, um, which was which was great. I remember that clearly because Flav said on the, I think with two laps to go, he said, Alan, if, uh, if, he, if he wins, you go on the podium. And, uh, which was really, you know, a, a fantastic gesture and, and what a, what an experience that that was. Mm. But um, I, I think we we were always we were just fight, trying to beat Fernando the whole time, and and of course Fernando was is is exceptional and was just that that next level that w that we couldn't do. And 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 any time, any time, I tell you one thing about Fernando. One any time we were quicker, which was rare, which was very rare. Fernando really. It, it 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 got to him, and he would work that bit extra harder. So so it wasn't it wasn't often it it happened. I think Indianapolis one year we were quicker than him, and you could see the frustration in Fernando and and, and the determination come out in him that you know he just refused to be beaten, if you like. But it it was those times of few and far between. What is the most impressive attribute of Fernando Alonso? Ah, it's his speed. Honestly, it's it's. I, I again, I haven't worked. I didn't engineer Fernando ever. I suspect I did it a test or something once or twice. Um, his adaptability as well w was was incredible. So so in in two thousand and four, I was engineering. Truly, uh, we did get the better of him once. Then we won in Monaco. Uh, that was that was a great weekend. That was my first win as a as a race engineer. That was that was that was pretty special. But Fernando had this way of driving that car where he would really hammer the front tires to to make the whatever the tire, however the tire car combination was, he would have this really sharp turn in and and and, and use that somehow to to stabilise the car and and was very tough on 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 front tires. And we had refueling in those days, so it, multiple stops were. Were, were common and I remember saying to Giancarlo at the start of 2005 I remember exactly where we were sat in the canteen in Enstone thinking we're going to get this bloke because he, he you know we got one tyre for qualifying in the race there's no way he's going to make that you know it's gonna, we're going to figure out a way and Fernando just overnight changed his driving style completely to, to cope with that 
with that uh, single tire rule, and all of a sudden was super gentle on the on the on the left front tire, and and and, and didn't hammer it. So I think adaptability is is one of his is one of his key strengths. Of course, he's he's phenomenally quick, but I think adaptability and and just having you know having dealings with him again since the summer this summer um, in preparation for, for next year is his attention to detail it's it's incredible uh, you know and and just questions 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 and can we do this and why didn't you do that and and, and just all sorts of things coming all the time non non-stop so uh th that's going to be a good year next year well how excited are you to have him back yeah uh, definitely do you feel definitely. the whole factory's got a buzz about it because he's coming uh, it's difficult to say because the factory is is in COVID times is difficult to it's not it, it, that's one of the real tragedies as well one of the sheer joys of racing is going back to the factory on a Monday morning after a good result and seeing the whole factory buzzing it's 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 difficult at the moment like that honestly with it like that because people are segregated the, the people are working from home and that sort of thing but there's no doubt people are I mean, there's a lot of people there who haven't worked with him. Don't forget, it was a long time ago when he when he last drove for us, 11 years ago. So there's a, mm. there's, a, there's a lot of people who don't know him and that, but, but, but for sure, people are excited. Are there lots of parallels between him and Michael in the way they go about the job? Intensity, the way they deal with the people in the team, the way they, adaptability, something you've already talked about. Is that a common trait? Yeah, I don't, honestly, I can't ask, answer that one, honestly. I, I didn't work with Michael on that sort of level, on an engineering kind of level. Um, speed, for sure. That they, they, They've both got it. And if you just watch some of those battles between the Ferrari and, 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 the, and the Renault in, in 2006, you can see that they're both... That they're both there. It's, it's difficult to comment on that, whether on on the similarities between the two. There's an intensity to Fernando, isn't there? That I oh yeah, absolutely, a absolutely there is, mm. and uh, and and I can feel that. I feel that on the end of my phone <laughs> race weekend when he's he's texting or he's he's on the lap messaging me on the laptop saying don't forget this or think about that, and 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 he's and he's sat at home and and he's hearing listening to our meetings. Mm. Through the through there, and you think, oh yeah, okay, yeah, he's got a point there, and we need to make sure we do that. And I know that is only going to be tenfold when he when he comes. What have you heard about the Bahrain test last week? Do you feel he's uh, had the engineers said that he made progress, and it's all? A I step don't forward? think it's about honestly about us judging Fernando in in that test. That test is. It, it, I had feedback from him about how good our little what we call our race support team is, and we've got a lovely little independent set of guys that we use to, to do those sort of events um, and, and we also use that as a, as a training school for race team for mechanics and engineers and, and truckies and, and, and all those sort of things you, in the old days you'd have a test team to, to, to sort of blood people in and we, and we don't have that now and the feedback I had from Fernando was great about how good that team was and how, how much they'd helped him and supported him and, and, and that sort of thing uh, I think for him driving around Bahrain track at 50 degree, whatever it was in the middle of the day with, with the car on what, what Pirelli call running promotional tires or driver academy tires, that they're not the same as the tires we have here. Uh, I think it was far more for him to, to just get his, to get that last bit of physical stuff there. And, and, and he also said to me, he wanted to do it because he wants to, 
you know, we've only got three days testing at the start of next season. He wants to go to the first race, not even have to think where a single button is on the steering wheel. He wants to be able to go to those instinctively and stuff like that. So that's what those days were about for him. And, and doing stuff that you can't easily do, you know, safety car practices and stopping on the scales in qualifying and, and, and silly things like that so that, that, that he doesn't have to think about that and, and he can just think about the performance side of things. That, that's, what the, that's what that day was about. And you replicate all of those different scenarios. Yeah, we do as much as we can. Okay. Absolutely much as we can. Now, Alan, Kimi Raikkonen. Because <laughs> there's that wonderful quote that we are going to play out on this pod. <laughs> Kimi, get out of the way. Around the outside goes Grosjean and he forces him wide as Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, and, and Grosjean having to go off the track there as well and now allowing Raikkonen to take the place back. That was really stupid from Kimi. Surely, yeah. what's the point? His teammates catching him at one and a half seconds left. It's now delayed them both. They've had contact. The impression from the outside, tell me if I'm wrong, was that perhaps he didn't always get along i don't know if that's fair but but just what we're sort of fed through the the tv how did you get on with kimmy how, how was the relationship uh, before that incident <laughs> i got an absolutely fine with kimmy i got on very well with him uh, this image he gives you guys is completely cultivated i'm sure he, he, he because he doesn't like doing media and stuff like that he's uh, really just completely normal chatty i can remember kimmy phoning me during Christmas week one year, just to say, hi, how are you? Happy Christmas. How's the family? And that sort of thing. And, and, and just completely that the, the his public persona you'd think was completely out of character, but, but wasn't. It, it's fair to say after the, after the incident where I... We call it Radio Gate. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> it's fair to say that since then things uh, were, were a little bit frosty. And again, it's difficult for him to accept that a driver coming up behind him was much, much, much quicker and, and, and was heading for the podium. And I think did get on the did. podium. Did. Roman finished, finished third, yeah. Yeah. Would I change the way I handled it now? Probably. Definitely. But I think at the time there was a, there was a frustration there. There was a, and, and, and a feeling that Kimi was being selfish and, and, and wasn't putting the team where he could have put the team. And uh, so... That, that's that's where that came from and that's that's history you know we've we've spoken since we're we're we're, we're cool as for i'm sure I, i'm sure i'm not on his christmas card list but uh it's fine to stop and say hello in the paddock and be civil and and, and that sort of thing is kimmy the real deal did you did you see things in him where you go yeah i now understand why he's world champion and that reminds me of alonso that reminds me of michael schumacher and all the other great guys you've worked with yes definitely what's frustrating with kimmy and i don't want to pretend I'm any sort of great driver guru is is that you can also see that he puts in the minimum effort that that's that's for sure and 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 I'm sure others will tell you the same but what a talent what a huge huge talent I mean really the 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 two races he won for us he won by driving as slow as he could I think you know we 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 that that wasn't they weren't fights they were real quite easy easy wins um but you just kind of think, what if he put in the intensity that Lewis puts in, or Lewis appears to put in? Again, I don't know Lewis, but he, anyone you talk to who knows him, 
says he's just completely, that's all he's interested in. And that definitely wasn't the case with Kimmy. And that's, that's you know, and maybe he can do it no other way. And I've got no, that, that isn't, and that's not me being, wanting to be negative about him. That's how, he, that's how he deals. But there's a little bit of a, what if he, you know, how many world championships could he have won? Does it also make you think, what if, about that 2013 season? Yeah, definitely. Had Fernando Alonso Fernando been said to me in, in 2014, he said, if I was in your car last year, I'd have won. I'd have won the championship. That's what he said to me. Uh, and again, that's one of those one of those little things that sticks in your head. Uh, it was at an airport check-in queue somewhere, and and he and he said I I'd, he said I could have won in that car. I mean, it was a good car. I mean, the Red Bull was really something else. Uh, so so it was, and 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 especially Sebastian in the Red Bull. That that was you know they were untouchable. We couldn't we couldn't we be, we did manage to beat Mark a couple of times. But not Sebastian. We we couldn't get we couldn't get close to him. But um, yeah, Fernando thinks he could have won in that car. Well, there's like five world championships that Fernando came so close. <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. It? Yes. Um, another guy, Robert Kubica, raced for you in 2010, uh, three podiums. Funnily enough, you also tested him after his crash when he came back, didn't you, at Valencia? Yeah. Was Robert right up there with the best of them pre-rally crash? Yes, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah, he was. He he is another. Just lives and breathes. There, there's nothing else at the time of driving Formula One and and winning and and doing well and 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 thinking of every possible thing he can think of to make the car go faster and to do better. He, he was he was super impressive. Just really, seeing, just seeing your body impressive. language then makes me think. Yeah. Did you really enjoy working with yeah, him? Yeah, absolutely, I did. I remember a lap in, and and it was a tragic race because the flipping wheel fell off on the first lap or something. We hadn't tightened the wheel up properly on the grid. But he qualified in Japan one year. I think it, I think he qualified second or something like that in that car. But he got out of the car and he was completely white and shaking. And and he said, I, he said I can't even talk at the moment. And and he had to go and sit and 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 sit down for a while and calm down. He said, I've never done a lap like that. I never put that sort of effort in to a lap before. And I don't know if he'd scared himself or or what he'd done, but he, he can be quite an emotional guy, Robert. And when we tested him in Valencia, he did a similar thing. He he. he he got out of the car after the day's running and just went off and sat on his own for a bit to, to, to just, I don't know if it's because he couldn't talk or he just wanted to just absorb it, but he just sat quietly for a bit and, and then came and, and then came and had a chat. And, and that was, I think that was quite an emotional day for him to get back in the car uh, in Valencia. And when you heard of his rally crash, was it one of those moments where you can remember exactly what you were doing, what you were... Th- yeah, I can remember where I was. I can just remember uh, this sort of emergency meeting being called. It was a Sunday morning, I think, uh, or a Saturday. It was a weekend, anyway. And uh, Gerard Lopez, who was our, who was our not team principal at the time, but I guess group uh, or chairman, uh, calling a meeting, and and I'm just thinking we were just sort of brainstorming what that what what can we do robert's out we don't know how long he's out for at that time we didn't know we didn't know anything much about it um and just trying to work out how and and of course it was very clear that that, that to replace a driver like that at, at short notice is is impossible um there wasn't a an alonso a line around or a schumacher 
lying around and that that's the level he was absolutely that's the level he was at mm. now we've talked different eras um you mentioned lopez but can i just go back there's a couple of things i wanted to ask you about flavio briatori you know a, a charismatic person a more charismatic person is hard to find really in the history of formula one what was his attitude towards the engineering department when he first joined at roughly the same time as you yeah he did he he was yeah he who was, was there first <laughs> i think he was just uh, yeah. yeah i'm not i'm not 100 sure because peter collins was team principal when i started when i was race engineering flavio's attitude was was really good he'd praise you when it was going well he'd bulk you when it wasn't going well and and, and you you knew where you stood with him he he was a Again, he's a guy that gets a, a bit of bad press. I've got nothing. I've got no, nothing bad to say about Flav at all. Honestly, he he was a decent guy to work for, and and if you he, he trusted people as well. He trusted his his people. He, he clearly trusted Pat very well, and I like to think he trusted me in in doing what I'm doing. And if you said something to him, he would he would accept that. And and of course, if you didn't perform or things went badly, he would sit you down and tell you that as well. Um, but he would also when things went well, he would also sit you down and tell you what a good job you were doing. As put well. you on the podium. So, put you on the podium, exactly. You know, he, he was, I'll give you an example of, of, of Flav. Uh, many years after all the Crashgate stuff had happened, we were on the grid somewhere, and, and I think it was in, the, in, the, in the, some of the, the sort of dark days of, of, of Lotus when, when things were going really badly, and he happened to be there and he said how's it going and, you know it's okay and blah 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 and there was a lot of talk about the team folding up and that sort of thing and he said if you need a job give me a call i'll give you a job that was flavio he he had a, i know he's got his his loyal trusted people and, and and people that still work for him now that worked for the team and uh, and i'm not saying i'm one of those but he he's a uh, he's a good guy he spent a lot of time bad-mouthing technology and all the sort of expensive stuff that he claims the fans don't care about. But that being said, did he give you the tools that you needed? Yeah, if ever I, you needed I, something I, tech that, suspect, he, that he was bad-mouthing, he would get it. I if you go back and, and if you look at, take my previous comment that the best-funded teams win the championships, if you look back at what we had in 2004, 5 and 6 in terms of funding, I imagine we were right up there with with anyone else and uh he gave he, he yeah he, he made sure we were we had what we needed to go racing and was he a passionate racer oh, yeah absolutely it yeah, hurt definitely. when you lost and yeah. he uh, and he reveled in the success yeah can you compare i mean i appreciate the schumacher era was early in your career but can you compare 1994 95 and that sort of winning streak then with 2005, 2006. 2005 and six felt like racing. They felt like we were, we were in a dogfight. We, you know, we were absolutely fighting McLaren one year, fighting Ferrari the next year. And it was just about flat out racing and flat out development. It didn't feel like there was any politics or, or anything like that. We were just trying to go as fast as we could and, and not, you know, make sure the thing didn't stop. And, and it, that was, I think that felt more pure, honestly. How different was the vibe, certainly technically, when you had, in the 90s, Ross, Braun, Rory Byrne, Pat, to the 2000s, when you had Bob Bell, James Allison, Pat. Different vibe or, or, or similar people? Did they go 
approach the business in a, in a, in a similar way? Bob and, and Ross are not, are not dissimilar. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Bob because I talked a little bit about Pat. Bob is another one who, who has been a real guiding light through my career, I would say. And Bob is always there, always has been there to, to, as a sounding board or uh, just to talk to or, 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 or he would come and, and, and in his own way give a, give a little bit of advice or, uh, and things like this. Bob has been, you know, is, is, I had lunch with him last week. We, we, we snuck in a pre-lockdown lunch uh, and 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 he's uh, he's he's been a a huge influence on my on my career. I do remember that uh, that after all the 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 the, the horrors of, of of 2009 and the whole Crashgate stuff, that Bob absolutely stepped up and and really took over the team. There was two of them. There was Bob. And there was a guy on on the French side called uh, John Francois Cobay, who was a who was who was a marketing guy. And 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 I, I remember being incredibly impressed when, when again when when all that happened and, and we kind of lost our way and lost our leadership and everything. And and Bob and Jean Francois both stepped up massively. And I, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I'd never never expected that. And and you saw some real leadership from from these people in in real times of trouble. Well, how much did Crashgate hurt the team and oh. hurt you personally? Yeah, it was it was dark days. They were it was it was awful. Honestly, it was it was really it was it was it was tough. It was tough going racing, going back to Singapore in in two thousand and nine with all the cameras on us. Our title sponsor pulled out. Uh, I can remember, you know, Bob was there as as a team principal, if you like, but then there was me and and. And I was sort of chief race engineer at the time, I think, and and that was it. That was the race team, if you like. And Steve was still there. Steve Nielsen, of course, was running the 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 the, the sort of mechanic side of things. But on the on the technical side, the, suddenly Pat was gone. There was this massive hole, and and uh, I uh, I was sort of there trying to trying to fill that in. And and, and the long term, it, it it's I don't want to say it's been good for me because that's 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 the wrong way wrong way to put it but um it gave me an opportunity to try and step in pat's shoes if you like to follow in his footsteps i don't want to say to to fill his you know to to, to take over from him because because i wouldn't pretend to, to but be able forced to do that. you to step up it absolutely forced me to, to, to step up it, it really did um but yeah that was that was not that was not pleasant that those those races then now on Beyond the Grid, we love speaking to some of the sport's biggest names about the greatest moments in Formula One history. But new stories are being written every race weekend, and you can follow every twist and turn of the season with F1's Paddock Pass podcast. F1 Paddock Pass is the place to hear the drivers when they're full of adrenaline just minutes after they've climbed from their cars. Episodes are free to listen to and come out exclusively on Spotify three times every race week. And you don't need a premium account to listen to them. On Thursdays, Will Buxton previews the weekend's action, getting all the drivers' views on F1's hottest topics. After qualifying on Saturday, the drivers relive the fight to be fastest. We talk to the star performers up and down the grid, the pole sitter, and look ahead to the race itself. Then on Sunday, minutes after crossing the finish line, 
the race winner celebrates with F1 Paddock Pass. You'll hear from them all. The surprise podium finishers, the point scorers, the happy and the heartbroken. After every Grand Prix, it's your race weekend audio guide. Listen to F1 Paddock Pass for free, no need for a premium account, on Thursdays, Saturdays and Sundays, every race week, only on Spotify. And follow F1 Paddock Pass for the fastest way to get every episode. I don't want this to be the unpleasant bit of the of the podcast, but then when we go to the genie, I never know, is that how you pronounce them? The genie, know, genie, genie, genie. <laughs> anyway, when we go to that period, 2012 to 15, yeah. Crashgate aside, was that the toughest period for you? Uh, yes and no. A lot of people will, will very quickly criticise the, 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 I'd say the leadership or the, the team at, the, at that stage. I've got immense time and respect for for, for those guys, for, for Gerard, Gerard Lopez, Eric Lux, the, the two guys that ran Jedi or still do run Jedi. Um, because without them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here now. We wouldn't be here today. We'd have, that team would have stopped. They'd have, we'd have turned the lights out in Endstone, I'm sure. And, and they came in with a, with a, with a dream to, to, you know, to, to go racing and, and funded us and kept us going. And, and I think in the end, of course, it got it got difficult for them. It got very difficult, and and I think personally they were putting, you know, their own money in. It was difficult to find sponsors. It's a real shame because we were, you know, twelve and thirteen. The car was was immense. It re it really was. Um, and then unfortunately James fell out with them, and 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 he went, and that was that. Again, we had that tough transition because James was, and again, and I talked about Bob fondly, just equally fondly talk about James it, it, again it, it, as a as a person that was you know a, an awesome colleague and a, an incredible person to work with and work for but but a friend as well mm. and, a, and a close friend and and that's uh we're talking that's of course a, about James Allison yes, yes have you sorry, been James have you been surprised that he's gone into Mercedes and, and kept the juggernaut going and made it better and sharper not, and not at all no. James is one of these people that you, you he'll he'll stand up in front of the whole factory and, and, and tell him the, the the best what we're going to do the, the way forward is to we're all going to walk off this cliff and 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 500 people will follow him I, I promise you he, he's uh, he's an incredible leader and uh, I'm, I'm not surprised at all in 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 uh, in, in what, what he's doing there what he's done there, what he what he's doing there, and and just carrying on, on what Bob started back in you know whenever it was uh, two thousand whenever thirteen fourteen mm. Bob was technical director there. Bob started the roots of that. When you're at Lotus and money is getting tight, I'll never forget. Was it twenty fifteen? Seeing you guys, I think it was Suzuka. You couldn't get into your hospitality area yeah, that was yeah, horrible times really that. but how tough is it to focus on the racing when money when, when you're in that kind of situation um it's not that bad honestly you you, you go racing with what you got we, we did that whole season on i remember on three gearboxes so <laughs> never just, mind three gearboxes a weekend but just put that into context three what would what would Mercedes have been? How many uh, eight, would they have eight used? Eight or nine, right. and, and and rebuilding them constantly. We didn't have those sort of luxuries at all, and and it was tough. You know, we couldn't pay 
the circuits up front to, to have offices and stuff. So we built offices in the garages. So in Suzuka, we were we had no offices. We we we, we carved a bit of the garage out and, and and set up in there. And 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 you just got on with it, honestly. And it, it was it was it was difficult. Um, it, the, the the hardest one of the hardest things was 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 for the for the guys for the for the team that not you know not knowing if they were going to get paid or not that that was that was tough but we always did get paid and and, and that's again when I, when where i have a lot of time for those people you know they yes they may have been late sometimes but we always got we always got our money they always found a way in the end i mean it wasn't it wasn't easy it was very it was very very difficult and especially if you've got family and a mortgage and, and and not really knowing when the money's gonna land but it always did so let's bring it up to the current we've now got cyril uh you're going to be alpine yep as of 2021 um and one of your drivers next year isn't daniel ricardo <laughs> <laughs> a slightly odd way of phrasing the question i know but how sad are you to be losing daniel uh very sad honestly he's uh he's very cool he's in and out of the car there's you don't meet many that are that are pretty much you know spot on both both ways and and he's done a great job in building a, a very strong team around him uh in terms of engineering and and his and his mechanics you know his people in the garage there's a you you can tell and 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 pre-covid when he would come to the factory and the whole team would be gathered in in the race shop you can tell there's just love from from everyone for him and i think other drivers have i remember nico you know nico had been with the team for for a while and it was well loved and and and, and daniel coming along and just hanging out in the garage with people and and, and i i sure nico thought well, what's this what's this guy you know why is he doing that or what's this guy doing and not that it, it was essential to do but he did it because because he enjoyed that sort of thing and 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 that's that builds a strong team you know just hanging out with with the, with his guys and chatting and, and and that sort of thing and is he is the real deal when it counts as well inside the car yeah clearly he he's on the there's not many of them on 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 the current grid and i and i you know it's, i'm only speaking from what i see the same as everyone else sees. Okay, I see a little bit more of, of Daniel, but there, there's there's him, there's Lewis, there's Charles, and there's Max. Uh, and I don't think that those four are are, 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 are are a different level. You know, I don't want to. It's no disrespect to Esteban, but but he, he's he's just that one tenth, half a tenth, one tenth behind. And 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 where we are, that that can be a that can be a lifetime. Mm. And 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 he's he's striving hard to. To, to close that gap and, and learning from, from Daniel where he can and, and, and how he acts and, and, and how he, you know, he sees what he's done with his, with his team and, and, he, and he's doing the same and he's doing a, and a great job. And if he can emulate him and, and, and have that same success, then, then great. Do you think Daniel's been surprised by the progress you guys have made in 2020? Oh, I'm sure he has. I, I tell him every week it's not too late to change his mind. <laughs> that, I, seriously i do and of course it's tug in cheek and of course i know he can't change his mind and 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 of course he doesn't even pretend to say that he would even consider it because out of respect to his his new team and all that but uh, who knows if if this had been a normal season and and, and you weren't you know people weren't making their minds up about team changes before we'd even really turned a wheel uh, who knows where we'd be now but 
but but we are so we just have to deal with that you know and and without that we wouldn't have fernando back so and that so one door closes another one opens for 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 the team mm. if you like and then throwing it to 2022 fernando alonso's big on saying that it's it's a two-year project for him yes he wants to get results in 21 but it's all about 22 how confident are you that 22 is going to level the playing field and you guys can be genuine challenges uh i think level the playing field is 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 going to be a stretch honestly because don't forget these these big teams they've got these resources yes we've got a cost cap and that that is going to help that is going to make a, a very very big difference you know in terms of the people you can have they won't be able to have a thousand people working on a chassis you, you just won't be able to afford that that number of people but don't forget all the all the investment and the capital expenditure they've done over the last five years that's all there that's all still there and that's all still you know the rigs and dinos and and, and all that sort of stuff is still there i'm very confident about our 2022 car i've seen the some things about it some things about the uh the layouts and and that sort of thing we're feeling quite bullish about it let's say you guys have been ramping up the facilities as well yeah if you compare the end stone of 2020 to the end stone of 1992 92 i mean is it it's not the same it's not the same place at at all and and you talked a little bit uh, we talked a bit about whitney growing and and red bull growing well endstone's done the same there's several Mm. you know there's many other buildings now uh, um you know there's a wind Mm. tunnel there's that we want to make even bigger there's r&d buildings there's huge great machining um buildings that are, you know where we've got these fantastic machines that i wouldn't even pretend to know how to you know how, how they how they operate and, and stuff like that so endstone is yes it's 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 much bigger but i still don't th- and i don't want to again it's not an excuse we're not at the level of those of the of those teams we haven't been spending 300 million a year or whatever they've been spending for the last five or six years we've been spending half of that you know but we are confident we are we are looking forward to to then um you talked about fernando and 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 it's interesting that he he was i wouldn't say writing off 2021 but he's definitely since seeing the the last few races it's clear that this car is 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 capable for the first time since 2018 and Monaco is going to get back onto the podium Renault are going to see one of their drivers on the rostrum for the first time since 2011 is that a podium? that's a podium yeah nice job mate it's a podium Daniel thank you <laughs> awesome job mate oh. <laughs> finally assistance pays off when he sees Daniel doing that in the car, I'm very sure he knows in himself he can do better than that. So, so that that's his benchmark. That's that's the minimum he's going to mm. do in it. Is what Daniel's doing in it. So, so he's excited. It's been on the podium a couple of times, uh, and uh, it, it, I'm sure he thinks he can, you know, do even better. Do you think with these 2022 rules, we're going to see less innovation in Formula One? Are they that tight? I don't think so because we'll always find a way to innovate to do things. I think what they want to do is is kind of peg that innovation back a little bit so that if you do something, they can reverse it 
a bit quicker, but I don't. No, I'm not necessarily sure that they'll. they'll there's no way that that, that, that what are the, I don't know how many there is, how many guys Ross has got working on 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 that side of things, and and of course you have got Nicholas at the, at the FIA, Nicholas Dombasis at the FIA, all very clever guys. Each team's got a hundred of those trying to outwit them, so there there will be there will be stuff. There's no doubt there will be stuff. But what what I know what Ross wants to do, he wants to make it so that if you get that performance kick on someone that isn't locked in for the year he wants to be able to or it's not locked in for two years or whatever he wants to be able to to to, to peg peg you back mm. and uh arguably that's a good that that isn't what you know your formula one purist will want but th the fans want to see close racing there's no doubt they want to see they want to see they want to see racing and you're uh, starting to sound like flavio <laughs> but you're because <laughs> there's two bits of tech i did want to ask you about do you think we're likely to see something for example like forward facing exhausts which you had on the r31 of 2011 no, i don't i don't know honestly um i think formula one now that, that was that was again that was about aerodynamics that that project that forward facing exhaust project was was a was about aerodynamics and it was about putting the exhaust flow where we thought it was needed most it coincided with the change of tire i think we went from bridgestone to pirelli and 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 and, and had a different set of, uh, of of circumstances and and you wanted you didn't want the the it to be balanced you wanted more help at the rear you want and then we saw these rear blowing blown diffusers and that and that's what made the the cars really quick and made them really work in, in in those days that's fascinating so had you stayed on bridgestones that year uh, yeah i don't know we, yeah. no one will know that but that's why that car was done like that it wasn't done for packaging it was a nightmare that car those exhausts it was reliability was was tricky with it it was a real difficult it was a pig to build um uh, it was undoubtedly heavier um, but the, the theory was the car was you know the car before was reasonably nicely balanced let's put downforce in the center of the car um and mm. and, and make it go faster and mm. that's what those exhausts were, were designed to do yeah. um and then and then we we had a different set of circumstances in 2011 and we may never see things like mass dampers <laughs> in 2006 now Tell us the story about that. It was banned eventually, I think, for being a movable aerodynamic device. Yeah. Uh, and I remember it, you guys, not, I don't know you, Alan, but, but I remember Fernando at Monza 2006, off the charts, angry Flavio, going completely mad. Anger, proper, genuine I don't anger. Know, was that anger with that or was that anger because he got a penalty for allegedly blocking a Ferrari? I, I it, was, it was all that. going on, wasn't it? Actually, I, I yes. remember that, that that was the year we were in a dogfight with Ferrari. That's that's mm. for sure. And I remember Felipe getting a, a three-second toe around Monza from Fernando and then cl claiming he'd been blocked and Fernando getting a penalty from it. If you look now, you only need to look now to see what they're all trying to do. If you've got a three-second toe at Monza, that, that's what you want. So I, I know that. So, I mean, Fernando was properly angry then. Mm. Uh, really really upset about it really upset um, but the mass damper I remember we were testing at Silverstone and and when we ran it and turned because we could run it locked and then unlock it and Fernando said the car's like a Rolls Royce now that was his that was his you know he said it drives like a Rolls Royce I remember it very clearly him saying that 
So what yeah, were you it trying a, to achieve with it? Just for people who don't understand, which are, of which I'm one. I mean, uh, the things I've read, uh, it was all about pitch sensitivity and, and yeah, trying to keep it, the nose it was, low. It was calming the the suspension, Dan, and 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 the, and the, and the movements, and that, and 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 that made the the ride of the car fantastic, and and that made him able to. He said he could just throw it at the curbs, and and the car when it landed, it would settle immediately because that's one of the things with curb riding it's not hitting the curb so much it's actually when you land off the curb that and then you've got to get the power on and, and that's when that's where we do a lot of work trying to you know nowadays to, to try and make the cars work properly i remember him saying you could just do what you wanted and of course that's fernando with his you know off the cuff remarks but but uh it was a clearly a very big advantage can you remember how much lap of uh, silverstone probably something like three tenths or something like oh, that yeah. you know a, a, a big yeah. chunk of, of 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 lap time to find god alan it, i feel like we could talk all day you you <laughs> have experienced so much in formula one but we can't go on all day uh, we're talking in turkey and you've got things like a race to go and do <laughs> yeah, sure. um but alan just to sum up um couple of questions best car you've worked on in your career uh 2005 car seven poles eight wins Really, oh. <laughs> and yeah, that, was, that was uh, that was uh, that was yeah. a really that was ninety four car was also very good, but that, that as I said before, that season's a little bit a bit tarnished. But two thousand and five car was was absolutely superb. Best driver you've worked with? Oh, you've worked with. I know you say you didn't work that closely with Fernando, but um. I'd say I was chief engineer when Robert was driving. If if I can count that, he he was he was good. Uh, my favourite driver is John Lacey, that I've worked with, honestly. And this is going to sound like a bit of emotional nonsense, but we we I, he was the first driver I worked with in '97. Yeah, I engineered him in '97, and we had this relationship when i've said before we need to have this sort of healthy respect we were a bit started off fighting and 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 all that sort of thing and i think and and by the end of the year we you know we'd we'd had a we'd we'd i remember clearly we went testing in monza and we stayed an extra day or two days just testing and and at the end of it we we sort of said we got a pretty good car here you know this has been really worthwhile and i think we were testing dampers or something something really quite laborious and, and and hard work and and put it on pole for the for the race um so we finished the season well we're very close now i would classify jean as one of my very best friends and 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 uh, spend as you know as much time as not as much time together as possible that's not that's not fair to say because we you know we live in and and, and sort of breathe in different um atmospheres but but we'll go and stay with him um when possible and, and and we always have a we we always sit and 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 just talk and chat and 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 spend a day or two days just just having fun basically why do you think oh we're going off again sorry if you have to go but, <laughs> but why why didn't jean have more success in formula one he got only the one win for ferrari in 95 yeah i remember when he came in with tyrrell i mean i can't remember there being so, so much excitement about a new yeah. driver for many years and never quite happened no and it's probably wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing he, he should have won a race in in our car in certainly at least one uh 96 i think in monaco he was leading the suspension failed um 
but what a super talent. He's one of these guys who some drivers will, I talked about Michael giving a bit, bit of cash out and I'm sure other drivers do that. Jean gave his time for people that, and that was rare. What, what he did at the end of that, I think 96 or 97 season, he flew the whole team to his hometown in Avignon. And when we had a, a weekend, like a, like a boys' weekend sort of thing of, of drinking, of, his uh, drink, wine drinking and, and eating, and, and and they put us up in a hotel, and, and and just we went karting, and we and we went to restaurants, and we just and 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 he was with with us the whole time. That you won't find that now. I'm I'm very sure because people are too busy, and 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 people have got other stuff to do, and the seasons longer, and, and and there's more races, and people don't get that much downtime, and people also now recognise the the sort of the 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 recovery what recovery does for you and and and, and that, you know you need to get away from it and that but but that's what that's going what, on a bender with the boys isn't the yeah, way to recover exactly and that, that was Jean that and, and that is and that that still is Jean you know I, I he he called me last week and was was just oh this is COVID and we haven't seen each other for ages and it's terrible and then I go and hang out down there with Jonathan from Jonathan Weedy from Red Bull so the the three of us have a always have a we have a couple of weekends a year where we uh where we sort of let loose in Avignon at, at Jean's place uh, which is which is great fun and and he he's the he's the one driver that I uh I I have a huge amount of time for these days fantastic and final question from me is your happiest period in formula one oh that is a super question that's really really tough because there, there's been there's been good you know i i could say now honestly what i do now i love i absolutely love my job and i talked about being privileged you know traveling the world and and, and that sort of thing at the moment while other people can't I, I i feel also feel privileged that i just love what i'm doing you know i really enjoy um to, to be and i've moved away from the technical side of things now and i'm in far more a, a sort of a management role which sounds a, a, bit, a bit dull but being a sporting director you know working with the fia working with formula one we we a year or so back worked very closely with them on with, with Nicholas and with with Steve Nielsen from F1 on 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 new regulation you know the 20 which were the 2021 regulations and now 2022 regulations that's that's good and I get a lot of sa satisfaction from that sort of thing but they they've all been, everything's been you know good being a being a being a race engineer is is pretty cool honestly it's a fantastic job i remember going from being a race engineer to being promoted to chief engineer and being a bit lost and, and, and standing on the grid and not having a car to worry about and, and, and you're worrying about people far more than, than cars. And that, that, was, that was tough. That was, that, was a, that was difficult. That was a difficult transition. Going from, a, from let's say, a Sparky to, to being a race engineer was, was great and it, it really fit with me and I really loved, I really loved running a car. But I really, uh, what I'm doing now is I really enjoy How do you begin to pick out highlights from a chat like that? There were so many surprises, laughs and wonderful tales and my overriding feeling after listening to Alan for an hour is respect. His fierce loyalty to Enstone is admirable and his will to win shines through in everything he says. 
When he was a race engineer, his no-nonsense approach must have had a few drivers looking at the floor after they'd messed up. Equally, you sense he's formed incredible bonds with the drivers he's worked with, and none more than Jean Alesi, who's one of the most genuine people ever to sit in a Formula One car. And you shouldn't be surprised that these two are great mates. Many thanks for your time, Alan. It was great to catch up. And let's hope we see Renault back at the very front of the grid before too long. And before we go, let's have our weekly scroll through the virtual mailbag to see what you've been saying about the show. And you loved hearing from Jochen Mass last week. A lot of you commenting on his powerful descriptions of Zolder and Paul Ricard in 1982. Spaz Jenef got in touch to say this. I really like the Beyond the Grid podcast, but I really love the interviews with drivers from the sport's early years. This week's episode made my blood freeze in four brief minutes as Jochen Mass told us about the crash with Gilles Villeneuve. Yes, Spaz, Jochen was so descriptive in his account of what happened. Unbelievable, really. And I was just staring at him while he recounted the story. Toby Davis said... I thought your chat with Jochen was fantastic. He's so eloquent and knowledgeable. Keep up the great work and enjoy. Well, thank you, Toby. And few drivers in history have been better at describing their experiences in a racing car than Jochen Mass. He's an absolute gem. And finally, let's hear from Anthony Turner, who says it's very interesting Jochen's comment about Michael going to Ferrari over Williams. When you're in the best car, no one will say you're the best driver. Instantly made me think of Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Well, added to this point, Anthony, I loved hearing Jochen's description of driving Alain Prost's 1993 title-winning Williams. He made it sound so easy, but it's worth remembering that even in the best car, it's not. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. And as ever, I'd love to persuade you to rate and review our show and please keep your comments coming. While I don't have time to read them all out, I do read them all. And remember, I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Many thanks for listening. As ever, Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. Flat out.